If you've been listening to the Copywriter Club podcast for very long, you know that we love talking to copywriters, content creators, and marketers at all stages of business, from beginners to seasoned experts. And today's guest fits very comfortably in the latter group. John Ford is the co-author of the book, Great Leads, along with Michael Masterson, and the man behind the long-running weekly email called The Copywriter's Roundtable. He's also the author of dozens, maybe even hundreds, of high-performing sales promotions in the financial newsletter industry. John shared his process for getting started with research and copy, how divergent and convergent thinking helps him come up with new ideas, the lessons that he learned as a copywriter, especially as he was just starting out, along with a lot more stick around because this interview is a good one. But before we get to the interview, this podcast is sponsored by the Copywriter Think Tank. That is our mastermind for copywriters and other marketers who want to figure out the next thing in their businesses. That could be anything from creating a new product to launching a podcast or a video channel. Maybe it's creating a product company or building an agency. Maybe you just want to be the best copywriter in your niche. Um, Maybe you just want to hang out with us in real life at one of the upcoming retreats that we're so excited about. Uh, regardless, you can check out more information at copywriterthinktank.com to find out more and to apply today. Okay, let's kick our episode off with John. And as we do, just a quick note that John's neighbor decided to mow his lawn about halfway through the interview. It's not too bad, but we do apologize for any of the background noise that you might hear. Don't let that stop you from listening, though, because this is a really good interview packed with lots of ideas you can implement in your business. I guess there are just like any story you ask a copywriter to tell, it can be long versions and short versions. So I'll try to come somewhere in the middle. When I was in school, I was studying, what I wanted to study was English Lit. I was talked out of that by my mother, who has a degree in English Literature and a master's degree in English Literature. She's worried about my employability. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, so I started taking uh, marketing courses because they were there. I, to be honest, the teachers were great, but I learned nothing. I retained nothing from those marketing courses, uh, at least not consciously, maybe in the subconscious, I don't know. But but I wanted, when I got out of school, I wanted to find some way to do writing that uh, still involved uh, making money, not starving. And in the time that I didn't know what I wanted to do, I went to a graduate program in Annapolis, uh, the university, uh, or St. John's University. And it's really just a great books program and not especially marketable, but I just, I just felt like that that would be very interesting to me. So I, I took that. Well, I ended up seeing a uh, job posting there for an internship at Agora Publishing. And at the time they were very, very small, maybe uh, 25, 30 employees total across the company. And I went, I got the internship. I was being paid $15 a day to write editorial stuff. I met Bill Bonner, and at one point he he said, you know, why don't you come over and sit in my office? We had big open offices. Come over and sit where I am, and I'll teach you how to do writing or something. You know, well, he, he didn't really have a plan, and Agora didn't really have copywriters then, uh, except for Bill and, and one other person who did it part-time. And um, this is where I'm shortening the story. It involves, it involves getting business cards, not knowing what to put in the business card, I add, uh, I put a 
copywriter on there because I knew Bill was a copywriter and I thought, oh, well. And I just wanted that business cards because I'd never had them before. And when they came, Bill saw the box of business cards and he said, uh, business cards, what do you need these for? And I said, uh, Bill, I just, to be honest, I've never had them before. I, I want to hand them out, you know, maybe at a happy hour or something like that. And he said, all right, well, that's respectable, I guess. Uh, but what did you put on there for a job title? And I said, copywriter. And he said, all right, I can teach you to do that. And that's how I started writing copy. So he would, he would write a promotion and he would fill in like the broad strokes and he'd hand it to me and he'd say, can you, you know, fill in the rest, fill in these blanks. Uh, gradually got to do more and more of the writing and, uh, and there it went. And Agora, you know, famously expanded and uh, Bill decided that they needed to have a copywriting training program. And uh, he and Mark Ford, who has a similar last name, but we're, we're not related, but uh, uh, he came in and uh, he and Bill put that together. I helped them run that and uh, it just expanded and that became a, a core of the Agora uh, copywriting training until people all spun off and started finding their own ways to train, which were also very effective. And then uh, it became the foundation of the AWAI uh, training program. So that was that. So, you know, with those beginnings, you have probably, well, between you and Bill and, and um, Mark, you probably have helped train more copywriters than anyone else in the world, I, I've got to believe. I've never counted, but I think a lot. Yeah, <laughs> a lot. you got to be in the top three, maybe. <laughs> we did uh, we did uh, copy training things every year and brought in people from all around, uh, all, all around the world, really, because Agora is trying to, you know, has, had, has offices and affiliates and things like that in different countries. And we did, I did that for maybe 15 years, 18 years. And... Yeah, I don't think I could. I don't think I could begin to count. But of course, now, uh, now Agora has multiple affiliates inside of it, and each one has their own kind of copy pod, copy training setup. So they do all their own. You know, they do do all that training too. I mean, there are lots right. of people now who are in the Agora business that are have been doing it for less time than I have, um, and I read their stuff and, and learn from them all the time. So. Yeah, it's it's a, a training powerhouse. So, uh, you know, as you think back to what you were learning from Bill, as, you know, as you were starting out, can you just share like some of those like the first critical lessons that really got you started? From that, you know, so many of us do the English thing, and you know, who knows what we're going to do when we grow up? But we have the, a pretty good writing foundation, but that's a very different thing. Yeah from right for, you know, writing promotional type stuff. So what are some of those first couple of skills that Bill was teaching you that you were able to put to use as you were growing your career? Well, Bill, Bill is a, uh, a fascinating person. He's, um, he, he's very interested in ideas. He's a, uh, he's a history buff. Uh, he reads a lot and, uh, is a very good writer outside of writing copy as well as, uh, writing copy. But, um, the, the writing that he does for himself, is different from the cop, the writing that we do in copy because you know we're trying to get that kind of instant response, instant effect. We have to keep it very lean, and he does do the things where it gets more descriptive and writes longer and all those other things. One of the things that that I learned early on is that was I guess was just that that the kind of writing that people think of when they think of writing is not necessarily the same as the when you write copy because writing for like 
find literature or something like that is is something where you want to look at the writing and go, boy, that's really good writing. But when you're looking at copy, um, you don't want to be thinking about the writing style at all. You that should be invisible. And the person, you know, this is that the famous Ogilvy ad where he says, uh, you know, one side says that's a really great ad, and the other one says that's a really great product. And he says we write the second kind of ad. So. So that's one thing is that you have to learn how to write in a way that can uh, is so good it disappears, which is why, when, why I think a lot of people look at copy and they think, oh, I could do that because because it's so lean and it looks so simple. But then when you get into it, you realize it's it's very hard to to find that path that goes through and, and resists doing all those tangents and things. I think something else, something else with particularly with Bill is that uh, the way he taught was uh, until they started to put together a program was very hands-off. So we used to joke that he would write dear investor comma, and then have a headline at the top. And then he'd go, just fill in the rest after that. And then he would come over and he'd, he'd, he'd read through the first five, six pages. And then he'd say, okay, so, and he'd cross out the first five or six pages. And then he'd circle a sentence at the bottom of the sixth page and say, start here. This is where you want to start. So I, I guess two lessons you could take out of that. One is um, sometimes it's best to just dive right in. All, all of us, I think, once we've done this for a while, we want to help train people, show them how to do it. And we come up with a language uh, about how to talk about things that work in headlines, how to talk about formulas that seem to work when you put together a promotion. Um, and those things are valuable. It's useful to do that. But sometimes you just have to, you just have to go. You have to. You have to resist the urge to keep buying exercise books and exercise bikes and then never using them. You just have to get up and do something. So uh, there's that. And then there's also this idea where I talk about the bill crossing out the first five, six pages is it's hard to get that line that you circle and say, start here without doing the warm up. But then you have to be ready to kill the warm up. Uh, we used to have brainstorming meetings and uh, we would go away for like two, three days at some place and bring all the people who we thought would have all the good ideas. And for the first, the first day would be painful to get the conversation started. Second day would be fun because we're joking around and telling stories, but getting nothing done. And then about a third of the way into the last day, we panicked that we have no ideas and we'd come up with ideas. So then we thought, why are we spending money to go away on these retreats? Why don't we just do them in the office? Just do the last day. So then we would do the last day and we would waste, you know, the first third of the day would be painful. The second third would be full of stories and jokes. And then the last third would be like, oh my God, we have nothing. So we come up with ideas. And it didn't matter how long those meetings were, that ratio always seemed to work out. So uh, if I'd had a lesson to take from that, I think that you have to get used to the process feeling going through those kind of emotional swings, there's going to be a period where you feel overwhelmed. There's going to be a period where you feel like you've done all the research that you need to do and you really need to start writing and you feel desperate for not having started. Uh, and then I'm, I'm kind of describing how I feel when I write. And then there's that period when you're just on a tear and you're writing. And like, that's the best because the momentum comes across in the writing. And then you go back and all the uh, research and everything is done and you uh, know that now you're just working with the document and you're editing the document. Uh, that's the part I like the most because then it's then it all just starts to come together and 
what have you shifted about your writing process over the years? So if that's kind of where you were starting, where it's three pages, yeah. crossing it out. Um, what have you improved? Well, uh, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because I was just on your, uh, I was looking on your uh, site uh, before we talked. And then I was looking at something, I think it was either on your site or maybe it was related to it uh, because everybody's talking about AI and copywriting. Um, people talk about, um, when people talk about AI and what it's going to do for copywriters, but, you know, lots of people are saying it was going to replace copywriters. I don't think any of us really think that it's going to replace uh, copywriters, but that at some point we're all going to know, learn how to use these tools. We're going to change our method. Um, and what really, what, I, what really came across for me that from that was that that's actually how it always is. You kind of have to reinvent your process every six months or a year or so just to stay fresh. Otherwise, you it becomes monotonous and you, you start losing the point of what, what you're doing or why you did it. Uh, so I would say way back in the very beginning, I needed to, and I still do this sometimes, I would take other copy and I would reverse engineer it. I'd try and figure out what the, what the outline is. Um, because I just wasn't that familiar with the outline and the structure. Now I'm more familiar with it, but then when I see something that works really well, I do it again just to kind of make sure that that structure is still there or that they maybe they discovered something new to do. I would say something else that changed. When I first started, I would do something that I learned from a, a teacher in uh, high school about outlining, uh, from, um, well, for term papers and things like that. He would have us do this thing where we created uh, an outline and then we would get index cards and then we would go through the research. And every time we came across something, you'd write down the piece of research and then you would assign it later to the, to the outline. And then you'd spread it all out and see what was redundant or what could be reorganized. In the beginning, I did that a lot. So sometimes my first draft of a promotion would be a stack of index cards. It'd be like this big. And I was... Uh, reading something about Gene Schwartz, and he, this is kind of what he used to do uh, for Rodell's uh, books. He would just go through and he'd get as many cool tips as he could, and then he would arrange them afterward the, as the uh, outline for the promotion. And that, that that's always kind of made sense to me because when you do research, it doesn't come to you in the right order. you know. And then some of it, five different people might make the same point, but one of them makes it better than the other ones or supports it better than the other ones or is a source that legal is going to accept. Um, so, so I've always sort of retained that, but I did get away from the index cards um, just because they're not, they're not very good for a mobile lifestyle. You know, you can't like spread your index cards out on an airplane and ask people to hand you, you know, the yellow one. For um, so now, uh, so for a long time, I was using a program, uh, still use it sometimes, but I was using a program called uh, Scrivener which I think has become very popular, uh, which was designed for academics to write stuff and then people use for screenplays and stories and promotions and stuff. I still do that when I have a lot of research to tame, but uh, lately I've found if I do too much research in the beginning, I mean, I, I thoroughly believe in the idea that research is the way to, way to get rolling and to get ideas and to, um, and to be very authentic in whatever the message is. But I find now that if, if I do too much in the beginning, it's stifling and I, and it takes me longer. So, um, you know, and people are there waiting for a draft 
and they don't know how much research you've compiled. So from outside appearances, like, oh, he's doing nothing. <laughs> so, uh, so what I try to do now is, um, I get just enough research to get started. And I, then I start writing, um, in one document and I see how far it can go before I just run out of steam. And then I do some research to keep me going and I do it again. I try to do that until I get to the end. Then I go back and there are all these places that I put in brackets that say, you know, fill in examples here, three, three training examples or three testimonials here or something like that. And when I start to fill them in, I, I start seeing the places where I need to redirect and, and, uh, and maybe change what I, what I said. Most of the time I have a sense of what the examples are going to show or a sense of what the research is going to do. And I'm just finding stuff that will support it. But, um, but that's been working out for me a, a lot lately because I think the, the more we get used to uh, video sales, literally the, the more that we used to stuff online and, and skimming and, and clicking and jumping around, uh, there has to be a sense of speed in, in what you do. I think that that just getting started and writing it really fast, uh, and then going back and fleshing it out helps improve that sort of speed, that feeling that's between the lines. You mean the speed for you as the writer or speed on the delivery? I think it's, I think it's both, you know, it's, it's a little bit like, you know, like they tell customer service people, uh, if you're talking on the phone, try to smile while you're talking because the people can almost hear the smile. I think if you can write fast, it will read fast. Like if you're, if you're full of energy while you're doing it, somebody who's going to read it is going to pick that up. Yeah. I, I like that. I mean, it kind of reminds me of the way that James Patterson writes. I mean, you know, he's cranking out a novel every month, right? And his, his books are so fast paced. You, you can't put them down. Right. So yeah, that, yeah. that feels like good advice. So, so I have two questions kind of related to your, your process and your structure, John, number one, when you say I do just enough research, to you know, to get started what is just enough is it you know two pages of notes is it 30 pages of notes is it you know three days three weeks like what does that look like uh from a practical standpoint and i guess my second question really is around the structure of your writing like what is that outline that you're writing to in your head what are those those different points well i think uh, let's say that the outline first because i, I think the the outlines are, are more or less i think the ones we all know you know, that we're, we're trying to grab somebody in the beginning with a, an arresting image or promise, uh, a kind of a, uh, tell them what you're going to tell them. And then you have that immediate feeling when you, you realize they're hooked enough and you know that you need to say, let me back up and explain, or let me introduce myself or whatever. Then you know that you're going to start laying out proof. That's most of the promotion. At some point, you know that the the proof is so well established that if they wanted to go and tell somebody what they heard about that supports the belief that they already had when they picked up the promotion that you've done that now you've got to start shifting into the product and talking about and connecting that feeling with the product and then a sales close so i mean it's a it's a pretty it's pretty simple um and i think uh, I think that that's something that people who've been writing for a while realize that, that most of the time, a nice, simple outline uh, is going to be better for you than a complicated one. A complicated one lets you go off on all kinds of tangents, but um, but it's the simple one that uh, serves you best. And that, that's what 
if you're if you're writing anything, if you're writing fiction and things like that, you know that that's the same kind of thing. So I think it really depends on the project. If I'm working on something, you know, mo most of what I do is uh, financial copy, and that means that there's a guru involved, and I I'll always want to start out with talking to that guru to find out what they believe and what what message they want to uh, send because I think it has to be authentic to the product and the person behind it. In that same conversation, I'll usually have at least one person who's a real champion for that product. And so I, I, I might end up having a conversation with that person. And in that conversation, they say something that's already kind of got an aha moment. And that can be enough to get me started. Um, or I might read something that they've written about, or I might read uh, an outside article that references something that they talk about, and that might be enough to get me started. So in that case, very short, a day of research, maybe an article, maybe something that I just think of and uh, try writing it down on paper to see what will happen. I had one case where I was writing, I had an idea for promotion. I had a, a legal pad and a pen and I was on a plane. I'll just sketch out the, this headline idea that I have. Then I'll put that away and I'll watch a movie or something on the flight. And it was a seven hour flight. Uh, I, we were touching down and I was still writing and I had about 30, I think at 37 pages um, that I then went and typed up uh, the next, you know, like the next day uh, and handed in and say, Hey, I wrote a promo for you. So, uh, um, and there was no, you know, I added some research after that. So I said, here's a first draft and I went back and put some stuff in, but, um, other times that might mean tons and tons of notes. It might, might, you know, I might get 30, 40 pages of notes. And, and, and when you're, when you're, uh, researching stuff online in an hour, you can open 50, 50, 60 tabs on your, uh, and then you feel like you have to go through them all because there was something that interested you about each one. So I, I don't know. I mean, um, I think really it's more of a feeling like when you can't resist putting something down as a piece of copy. And I, I try to take all my notes now as copy, you know, in, in uh, because it's eventually going to end up that way. It's just kind of like to try it out to see how does it sound. Uh, I think more it's that you want to, for this, so for, I guess for the answer to your question, you uh, you research until you something says, hey, I got to get this, I got to get this down. I got to try it out, see what it seems like. I would love to hear about your process in relation to convergent and divergent thinking, which I know you've written about and how you strengthen your own divergent thinking and that side of your brain and how we as writers can do more of that in our own writing, in our lives. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know if I quite know the answer. How do you, <laughs> how do you attempt to do it? I would say, uh, I would, I, I guess, I guess the only way I could think about it is that I don't necessarily know what is, I don't know what it is that's going to help me or not help me think in, in any way, creatively, I just, um, I think it's just more of an attitude. Now, this is something I, I, I am pretty sure I did read on your, uh, on your site too, uh, which appealed to me, which is, I think that you, you simply have to approach life as a person who is curious and asking questions all the time. Once you are in that mindset, things start to happen. You know, with a, with a discussion about AI, uh, I don't want to take it too path, but it just, it, it just has occurred to me. Um, the way that chat GPT works, you know, we've all probably played around with it and you see that, uh, 
chat GPT, where it's, where it's very strong is that it can go and scour the entire web and then assemble everything that it finds. Uh, where it's weak, if there's nothing out on the web for it to assemble, it can't do anything. So uh, that's why it's weak when it, it talks about, uh, when we talk about using it to make an emotional pitch or figuring out how to tell a story uh, or, or figuring out not just how to tell the story, but when to tell the story and how to weave it into the message that we want to give, you know, how to create that, use that story as a, a leaping point for a point, something else we want to do. So we're thinking in chess moves and the, and this chat GPT is an excellent checkers player. So it can, um, uh, when you're, when you're trying to be creative, I think you can, uh, a copywriter can, uh, learn all the formulas, study what everybody else did, um, do all the research. And those things are very valuable. But right now you're just a, a human chat GPT because you're assembling from other bits that you picked up. And that's a skill. Uh, that's, and that's something that people aren't necessarily willing or able to do very well on the fly. But when you want to come up with something that's original, uh, I think that, you know, that's such an abstract, uh, that's the uh, idea. Um, and it comes, it actually comes out of, uh, ironically being exposed to all those uh, other things, all those other sources that are out there and then having a sense that something's missing. Um, or, and, and that's something that's missing might be a, a large original idea, or it might just be a connection that should be made between two things that everybody thought were not connected at all. And then you put them together and, and people are like, wow, that's, I never thought about it that way. So you, you take something that people believe is we, we're always writing to the things that people believe and we're trying to persuade them because we want to know where they are. And we're trying to find a connection between that thing they already know and the new thing we want to introduce them to. So they're comfortable with it. So they trust it. You can only see that something's lacking by being exposed to lots and lots of things. Uh, but you still, that skill to, to then figure out how to make that connection. I think that that's more of a mindset about life, that, that you just are a curious person, that you... When there's a question to ask, you don't think, oh, I'm not going to ask it. I'm too shy to ask it. Or it's a bother. Uh, that's Which is why I think there's some people that are not designed for uh, copywriting because they're not, they tend not to be curious people. They don't have patience for like conversations that might go down a strange path. Maybe as a follow-up to that then, I, I know you also wrote about feeding your brain morning to night, and that speaks to curiosity, how we can do that. I, do you have an example or two of how you do that in your own life? Uh, well, I probably I probably read too much on my iPad and just read, jump around reading articles. I, I like aggregator sites. I like the Flipbook app, you know, because I I like to stumble across something I'm not looking for. Uh, I like to I like to read a lot. I think I think one of the things that lately I've been thinking um, one of the things that I have not been reading as much as I should is more fiction which I think that a lot of uh, people who are copywriters, well, some people who are copywriters would say, I don't have time for reading fiction. But the difference with, between fiction and nonfiction is that fiction is much better at developing your sense of empathy. And you, if you want to sell, um, you, have to, you have to be able to try to read what people are saying even without realizing they're saying it themselves. I think there's a value to that. 
I used to have a uh, worked a few times with a copywriter named Lee Troxler, who used to say he loved it watching and another guy, uh, Dick Sanders, too, uh, who, who every year puts out this list of great movies of the, the years because he loves movies. But uh, I do think you need to be plugged into popular culture. You need to watch movies. You need to. I mean, there's a reason to, to stream on stuff on Netflix and talk to people about those kinds of things. And, you know, just see what people are reading, what books are people reading. And uh, I, I try to ask when I when I work with a, uh, a new guru, a guru, I say, you know, what book, what are you reading? What book do you recommend to read? Um, because often that's shaping what their opinion is at the moment. Rob, let's jump back in. What was a takeaway for you from the first part of this conversation? Yeah, so especially when we're talking to people who've been doing this for a while, I really like hearing some of the tips, some of the first things that they learned. And as as John was sharing what he was learning from Bill Bonner, a couple of things really stood out. Number one, copywriting needs to be invisible so that it disappears. And he pointed out that a lot of people will think, oh, I can do this copywriting thing because the copy feels so simple and and obviously he's talking about the work that goes into creating that kind of that level of copy that it really disappears but i've noticed there's kind of a thing going on in the industry where copywriters are um actually their particular copy isn't meant to disappear in some ways it's like meant to rub you wrong or it's really meant to stand out and i just i, I think like thinking about the role of copy in particular and that it is to sell and not to be, you know, on the front of the stage itself. It's, it's really about the product. It's about the expert that you're talking about. It's about the person that's doing the launch, whatever. I just think that that's a really good rule to keep in mind and something that's worth pointing out. Yeah, that's, I feel like that's a struggle for me too. Cause I'm like, I want my copy to sound clever. I want it to be so fun and clever. And so it's a good, a good reminder. Um, I also liked when John talked about just enough research, so doing just enough research to get started. And I think it's easy for us to think that you know more experienced A-list copywriters do a ton of research up front. And just to hear him talk about his process of like, you just got to get started and then you can do more research and then you jump back into the project and then you can do more research along the way. And talking about the speed involved and, you know, he said, there has to be a sense of speed in what you do. And just, you know, similar to customer service agents and smiling on the phone, even though you can't see it, you can feel it. I never really thought about speed in that way. And I think it's just momentum. It's building momentum. And I think oftentimes with a new project, we get in our own way and get in our own, you know, get in our heads about it. And then we lose that momentum. And so I'm keeping that in mind in everything I'm doing, just like the tiny habits approach by BJ Fogg. It's just do a tiny baby step just to get started so you can build that momentum. Uh, when he was talking about his approach to research, I realized that's kind of the way I write. You know, I'm not somebody who likes to sit down with 20 pages of research because I start to get lost in all of the stuff. But when I'm doing research, every once in a while I'll come across a thing and I'll be like, ooh, uh, that's cool. And I start writing there like he does or like he said until I get stuck and then it's like, oh, I need to jump more into, you know, this this kind of thing. So uh, it, it was sort of gratifying to hear that he has a similar approach. And yeah, sometimes it is, you know, a couple of pages. Sometimes it's a lot more than that. Sometimes it's, you know, 10 plus pages to really find that thing that gets you started. But it, it's a really good approach. Uh, and as we're talking about that writing advice where he talked about um, you can't find the start without the warm up. 
but that you need to get rid of the warm up is you know really practical writing advice oftentimes the first few sentences the first few paragraphs even the first few pages aren't that great until we get into the action into the thing that we really have to say i see this when we do copy critiques in the copywriter underground, I see this a lot on about pages and home pages where there's two or three paragraphs about why you need copy or why you need words or why, you know, I'm the right person, you know, the things that I've been doing in my life. And it's like this, so many of those pages, those messages would be so much stronger if we cut out that warm up stuff and start where the start is. And, and there's a skill in finding where that point is. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about divergent, convergent thinking and how to be more creative as a writer. And so I always enjoy those parts of the conversation because I think it's easy to get caught up in thinking and improving the craft of writing. But it's like, what else are we doing outside of writing to be more creative and to ask better questions and to be more curious in everything that we're doing so that we can bring that back to the craft and also just bring that back to the business and to marketing and everything that we do. Yeah, when he was talking about that, one thing that really stood out to me is that idea of making connections between the new thing that you're writing about and the thing that they know, their worldview, because that's how you build trust. That's a, a total copywriting secret that he you know revealed. It's not really a secret, but it's one of those things where if you can connect with their worldview, then they trust you. And he also mentioned, you know, related to that, it makes you look smarter to them because you show up as somebody who agrees with them. And we all like our worldview to be reinforced. The people who, who tell us that we're right, of course, they're smart because they know we're right. Right. And there will be people who say you're an idiot and that's OK, because those people, those people are not the right people for you. That's fine. Let's go back to our interview with John and ask him about about his approach to great leads. I want to change our conversation just a little bit. Uh, I think most people who are listening probably recognize you as one of the authors of the book, Great Leads. Um, it, I'm sure you get asked about this probably more than just about anything else because of that. But in the time since you wrote Great Leads or helped write that, how has the way that we start off sales messages changed or has it changed at all? Are, you know, are the, are the six leads still the six leads? Would you add anything to that? Just maybe take me through that, that thought process. Well, I, I think, uh, the, I mean, something that's interesting about the, the finding of the six leads is that um, we came up with six, not because there are only six, but because uh, we were looking for patterns that we could reliably turn to when we're overwhelmed with choices. And by, by limiting it to those six, we seem to be able to cover most bases. Um, I think that that's still true, but I would probably, because that's become such a, a, a filter that I understand, uh, if somebody were to present to me a new lead type, I'd probably go, well, that kind of really fits in this category, one of the six categories. Um, that doesn't mean that they're wrong. It just means that that's how I, that's how I now see it and it just works for me. So um, the whole thing was kind of an, is kind of an exercise in um, limiting your choices so you can actually make a decision. Uh, so I think that that actually still applies. Now we have even more choices to make. Um, most of what changes 
are formats and you know just ways of of presenting the pitch but at the uh, at the end of the day i think you know we're still we're still selling to people they still have the same interests and needs and desires and uh, biases so i think a lot of that that still works and i think that the great leads part you know we're trying to address uh from a fundamental standpoint rather than something that's about the shifting of the times i do think that people today have uh i don't want to say different attention spans they have different expectations of um what things are going to do for them and we're competing now especially for people who are selling in the information age um we're competing against a lot of free information and you know in- information and wisdom are not the same thing um so a lot of what we do when we're selling any kind of info product is we're trying to establish that it's a wisdom product not an info product that we're we're narrowing kind of kind of like the book we're narrowing the field so that people aren't overwhelmed by choice so what are a couple ways i know there are many ways to do this but a couple ways to um establish yourself or your product is wise, the brand is wise, and not just a regular info product. You know, by well, I guess one of the most immediate ways is with uh, track records, testimonials, um, show that people are getting a good result from what it is that you do. Uh, that's probably the fastest way. Um, then, it, then I think you become. It's a little bit. It's a little bit harder to put your finger on, but I think that when the way, if if you can learn to speak authentically in the voice of that expert, uh, if you can stay true to them, especially now that we have uh, VSLs and things, and those experts are appearing on screen, reading their, reading the transcript that you've written for them, it has to sound like it comes from them. They have to look comfortable with it. Um, so I think that that helps just to give that kind of appearance and sense sound of of somebody who's um, who's engaged by things and that makes them seem wiser and uh, and then simply I guess understanding who it is that you're writing to knowing how to use the the lingo that they like uh, that 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 they understand and knowing what it is that they already believe about how the world works and stick, staying true to that because if they see a reflection of themselves in it they'll think that's a smart person so so as you think about um you know leads the what you're trying to accomplish do you have a go-to that you almost always start with or you know do you look consider the ideas uh you know the thoughts that you've got you know that you're working through and think oh that should be an invitation you know this one should be an invitation leader this one should be story or, or you know is there kind of a, a even a hierarchy between which ones you would want to think through as you start writing? Well, I, I mean, I'd like, if I can find a story, I'd like to tell a story. That would probably be my go-to. It's not always easy to find a story to tell. I, I mean, sometimes there are stories there, but you really have to, you have to dig with the people that you're interviewing to get the information, to get them to realize there's a story to tell. They're the guardians of those <laughs> past tales. So. If I don't have a story to tell, I would say probably a go-to for me is some kind of prediction, brand prediction, because I like that. Uh, I like being able to try to paint that picture. And I mean, I think uh, I like doing things visually. I, I like I like movies a lot, so I think um, I think that that probably 
you know, it's either it's either a big kind of futuristic vision or somebody's very personal tale. I want to roll two questions into one. So I read on your website that you don't check email until 3 p.m. or 4 p.m. every day, which is miraculous. I'd like to do that. I I want to do that. And then the question really is, how how do you do that? And how do you stay focused, clear-minded, avoid distractions, especially today when there are so many distractions? (laughs) What helps you even if it's not perfect? Um, Well... Uh, one of them is a kind of an unfair cheat, which is that I spend a lot of time overseas. So six hours or so before everybody that I work with. So check their emails because they aren't, they aren't sending them. You know, not everybody can replicate that. Uh, Although I, I think more of us are going to try. We, yeah, get, yeah. Joining you overseas might be a good goal. Yeah, come on over. Um, but uh, every time that I've gotten on any kind of social media thing, I wind up getting hooked on it. Like uh, I was doing Twitter for a while. I was drawing political cartoons and uploading them to Twitter. That was my rationalization for being on Twitter was to upload the cartoons. But then I found myself commenting on things, you know, (laughs) it'd be like one of those things where it's like one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning. And there's a glow from my iPad and my wife is saying, go to sleep. And I'm saying, I'm just typing something, you know, just I'm writing to some person to try and correct their opinion who I'm never going to meet, who I'm never going to persuade, you know? So I eventually had to burn my Twitter account. I, I, I went to the change password thing. I typed in another password. And, oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Because I, <laughs> because I keep, I keep hitting Twitter links in articles and it'll go to Twitter and it'll say, sign up. And then I remember, I don't want to do this again. Then I did that on Reddit for a while. And then I got off of Reddit. Now I've just written something about uh, AI. And that made me look on TikTok. And now I'm afraid I'm already developing a TikTok picture. So, Don't do it. Um, Don't do TikTok. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think that all adds up to one way is to, yeah, you've got to, it is good to be plugged in, but sometimes though, you've got to make sure you're not. So unfortunately, uh, fortunately and unfortunately, uh, seems like fewer people are into using now, but now though there's Slack. So I'm uh, dealing now with a love-hate relationship with Slack because they can, they can find you. So I've gotten... I've gotten messages at the end of a day in the U.S. now, like at 11 o'clock at night, 11.30 at night, you know, can we get on the phone for just a minute? I'm like, it is 11.30 here. Is that right <laughs> if we don't? But I'm like, just it won't take long. Um, so, yeah, it's tough. You know, while we're talking about discipline, you probably have the longest running email, uh, you know, consistently written email in the copywriting space, I'm guessing. Uh, you've been writing it for something like 20 years. Uh, how do you manage that discipline? And how do you find, you know, something to write about consistently every single week? So, that you, you know, you're, you're able to continue building this audience and communicating with the people who want to hear from you. Well, sometimes I'm able to find something. Sometimes I open it. I open the MailChimp thing and I have no idea what I'm going to write. But I feel like I have an obligation because I promise people. Other times, you know, I'll have multiple napkins with little ideas written on them or files or something like that, uh, where I've just started to write, oh, I got to do something about this, do something about that. Um, one one thing I found, and I think, I'm, I bet you guys have also found this too, is that the beginning, when you're trying to figure out to do this, you're thinking, how are we going to come up with an idea, enough ideas? But as soon as you start thinking about it, the ideas start to find you. And then you're like, how am I going to 
remember all these so that we can get them into an episode. So um, I don't know if you, I don't know if you have this experience with the, the things that you write copy for, but um, I just finished doing something where the main promotion has been out and finished for a while. But now there's all this ancillary copy of lifts that I need to write. So I think uh, today I just wrote my 40th lift for this thing. So that means I've got to come up with, you know, 40 different ways to say same thing or to say something that's new about the thing. In a way, it's a nightmare. But in another way, it's, uh, it's good because once you're forced to do it, you realize there are so many ways you can do you can do these things. So, uh, yeah, so I think that that's just being, just being there, just showing up sometimes that helps, helps you come up with ideas. I mean, the, the copywriters Roundtable is interesting because it was really started a group of copywriters met at a meeting around a table and we wanted to keep in touch and we were just going to exchange emails and it was, it was only meant to be about 25 of us. Um, and then people started passing it around. So I've never really marketed it. I've never made any attempt to grow the list. Uh, and it's not a huge list. It's about 7,000 people or something like that now. I'm terrible. I never change the ads. Uh, it's not because they're working fantastically. I hope I'm not confusing people that, who are reading. That's going, actually that really, that's interesting ad. to hear because I've, I've wondered about that because, yeah. you know, and, and I know a lot of them are, are your friend, Bob Bly, you know, right. shares yeah. a lot of his programs. Yeah. So, um, but I've wondered about that. I've, I've wondered if, it, yeah. So that's well, interesting to hear that. It's partly because, uh, because Bob has a lot of great products and, uh, partly because he had, he had the easiest affiliate system when I needed to set something up. So, um, every week I look at the ads and I think I really, I've got to, I've got to <laughs> start doing a better job with this, but I just haven't the time because there's so many projects. So at some point, at some point, we, are nearing the end of our time together. And I still have many questions to ask. Um, so we might need to do part two at some point, but just to wrap it up, um, I'm curious what you see as the biggest opportunity for copywriters today in 2023. It's funny because now I've just mentioned that I spent so much time on the TikTok thing and I'm aware now much more than I was before, how many people are pitching the idea of the copywriting lifestyle to uh, to people as a as a way on TikTok, it's always you want to make ten thousand dollars a month and you know barely work. <laughs> like, okay, well, I wouldn't say that we barely work. I mean, I think you if you're really doing it, you're probably working a lot, and uh, it's hard to stop when you the day ends. Um, but uh, the volume of what people need out there is so great. You know, so um, it's almost hard to isolate one opportunity because as soon as you realize what copywriting is related to it, content writing, everywhere you look, you're going to start seeing copy. I mean, if you're if you're a kid, you know, reading the back of a cereal box on a Saturday morning, you're reading copy that somebody wrote. So um, and now all those things are online, everything, every every communication that we have online it involves copy everybody realizes that they need realizes they need copy for their websites their landing pages their um longer ads they need somebody to write their twitter feed they need somebody to write blog posts to get them out there 
there's a there's just a ton of opportunities. Um, I don't know if you saw in the uh, in the copyrights roundtable in the last couple of issues. Uh, people ask me how to get clients as a copywriter yeah, yeah, freelancer. Yeah, it's and, been an interesting series as, as you've shared. This. You know, I, I I try to answer honestly. I like you know I'm actually the wrong person to ask because I fell backward into the situation where I am, and it's just very lucky. And um, there are many projects that are kind of trying to find me, so I don't. Uh, and they're all you know they're all originating from Agora and Agora affiliates and things like that. <clears throat> So I wanted to ask other people what they thought. I would say that the most consistent piece of advice that people had that I put in there um, was uh, finding people who do what you would like to do, contacting them and saying, and, and, and being authentic about it, being honest about what your experience is, but saying, I'd like to take a shot at writing this thing or that thing for you. Um, and so that could that, that is an opportunity is one that you kind of create for yourself, but there's a, there's just a ton out there. So you just got to keep your eyes open on who's writing stuff, who's trying to persuade people with a message. I would say that there is an opportunity that's arising that we're we're going to understand better in a year or two because of the AI stuff, which is if you've got an AI out there that can write kind of like low intensity copy, low value copy, you know, like the little if you're using a, 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 an AI to write an about page or something like that, there's not a lot of risk there. It's just It just needs to get some biographical data and it can do just fine at that. But the longer the copy gets or the more pressure that's on that copy to make something happen, there are going to be a lot of people out there who are using these uh, chatbots to produce that stuff. And they're going to be doing it by pulling from the internet. Well, if all the chatbots are pulling all from the internet and then they're all producing the content, um, it's all going to start to homogenize. Yeah. And uh, the opportunity there for copywriters is to be the person who does more than just be an automata uh, automated or formula-driven copywriter. The better you are at coming up with ideas that are original and that at, at collecting and retelling stories in a way that gets a message across the more chances you're going to have i think or the more success you're going to have once you once you land a client uh, i mean that's always been true of course but i think that that this ai situation is just going to intensify that you said you like to start with a big promo a uh, big prediction uh that's a pretty good ending on a good prediction uh, yes. <laughs> as far as uh you know this this episode of the podcast goes I, I think um, I think also we, this is kind of community that you guys built, which is all, also something I always meant to do with the roundtable, but I've been too lazy to do it. Um, the uh, getting around other writers, that's another way, I think, to become that kind of thinker, mm -hmm. um, to have those kinds of ideas, because it it uh this is like the steve jobs thing you know when you randomly come across somebody you know how he put the in the pixar building he put the bathrooms in uh, and in places where people had to cross through other people's workspaces yeah. so that they would have conversations i think that the more that you can do that sort of create that kind of productive chaos that that's very valuable yeah that's, that's a good challenge something we need to be doing more of um john this has been Awesome. I mean, I've been I've been wanting to 
to chat with you, you know, one-on-one for, for quite a while. So I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. I'm a longtime subscriber to the Roundtable, uh, longtime reader, I think, of a lot of your promotions. I, I remember joining Bill's List back in like 1998 when he was, you know, it was really just kind of starting out in some ways. Um, but I just, I, I'm a fan. So it's, it's been great talking with you. I appreciate you sharing all that you have. Um, obviously, we can find you at the copywriter roundtable.com. Uh, I, I believe that's cop- yeah, copywriter. Copywriters. Copywritersroundtable.com. And I and I just conveniently avoid the question about where the apostrophe is supposed to be because it doesn't fit into the URL. So. <laughs> exactly. But it, it's it's great. Everybody should join your list, uh, you know, and, and see what you have to share uh, each week. They should uh, most people probably have a copy of your book, but they should have that on the shelf behind them uh, for reference, especially if you're writing any kind of sales promotional uh, stuff. Um, anywhere else we can connect with you and follow you or, or see what you're doing? Uh, well, I think right now that's mostly it. I have a uh, I did during the lockdown start interviewing other copywriters, something like this, and put it on a YouTube channel, but it's a very small channel. So look but, for that uh, as well. Yeah, Bob Blyam. Uh, Mark Ford, David Deutsch, um, Todd Brown, some of them are up there. Rich Shepard. Awesome. Awesome. So check that out. Thanks, John. We, we appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. This us. is great. That's great really talking to you guys. That's the end of our interview with copywriter John Ford. Before we close out the interview, just a, a one or two other things that maybe are worth mentioning. You know, John was talking about great leads. There are six approaches that are outlined in that book, and it's a great book. We'll link to it in the show notes. Everybody should have a copy, at least copywriters writing sales messages should probably have a copy of that on their desk. But it got me thinking, Carol, like when you think about writing, you know, your emails or, you know, promotions or whatever, do you like start out with lead ideas or are you just kind of looking for just like a fun hook that that's like appealing to you? And I, I was asking myself the same question. Like, you know, I, I don't necessarily start out like John says his go-to is the story. And I'm not always looking for a story. Sometimes I just have like, oh, here's an idea. That's, that's an idea I'll, I'll write about. I was just curious, how do you write? Yeah, Rob, thanks for asking. Uh, <laughs> I think, I, I mean, the, the hook I prepare ahead of time, I usually am thinking it through the night before I write or the morning of so that I'm not stuck when I'm staring at the blank page. But as far as like the lead, that is tricky. I feel like I do a lot of what we were just talking about, a lot of, um, you know, just coughing to get the copy out and then editing that lead and then finding it midway um, through that process. And then and when I get it, though, I know I've got it. And uh, it's, it is a tricky process. I think I need to pay more attention to it. Yeah, I, I was thinking about it. I actually saw somebody, and I wish I could remember who it was that, that said this or wrote this, but somebody recently said in an email or something I saw, said, you don't need a hook, you need to hook people. And that might be a distinction without a difference, but it kind of made me think, okay, um, you know, when we talk about hooks, we talk about leads, oftentimes we're thinking like, I need this 500 word thing, or, you know, it's like very specific headline attached to subhead, whatever. And maybe just backing away from those kinds of formulas and saying, actually, I just need something that's going to grab attention so that I can get to my point. And again, maybe it's a distinction without a difference, a way that I, I was kind of thinking about it a little differently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else stood out to you, Rob? So, you know, again, some really good 
um, advice as far as writing goes. So you asked about differentiating information products as wise, and John started to talk about you know results and proof and how you know if you can show something's effective, that it it shows that it works. Like that is a better, wiser info product. And you know again we've got lots of resources in the copywriter underground around proof stacking and how do you show, how do you prove that things work? Uh, so, you know, something that might be worth checking out, but coming back to that idea that we talked about in the first part of the show, when you confirm your audience's worldview, they think of you as a smart person, as an intelligent, an intelligent person. And I think that's really critically important when we're writing. We also talked about John's discipline of writing the weekly email and, um, and just how, we generate ideas and often it's easy to think, well, I'm not going to be able to come with, come up with enough ideas. I'm not going to be able to come up with a weekly email idea or, you know, so many email copywriters are writing daily emails or posting on social media three times a week. And it's that fear is always there. At least for me, I'm like, how am I going to come up with enough ideas? But then if you sit with it long enough and you allow yourself to be curious or to um, actually think outside of the business and get lost in other aspects of your life, all of a sudden I get hit with all too many ideas. And so then, then that's another struggle. And so I'm glad we talked about that and all the ways you can come up with multiple ideas, 40 ways to say new things. We touched on chat GPT as well. Like that is a helpful tool when we're trying to say new things in a different way and come up with a bunch of different combinations. So I'm glad that we pulled that into the conversation too. Yeah, you know, as he was mentioning the 40 different lift notes that, you know, he had to write for that particular promotion. And, and that's a very common thing in the newsletter industry. It got me thinking, you know, oftentimes, you know, when we're working with people about a launch, uh, you know, think about that launch lasting more than just a week, as will happen with a promotion that John's writing for. It might last a month or two or, or even longer if it's successful. And how many different ways that you might need to introduce your audience to it so that it, it you know attracts their attention and you know if we had to introduce every idea or come up with 40 ways to introduce every idea that's a skill set and it's not easy to develop but once you have it i think it's a, a incredibly valuable to a lot of our our clients whether we're writing emails for them promotions that kind of thing so worth thinking about and, and developing and something i admire about john and if you get stuck you can use tools like ChatGPT to help you get unstuck to come up with those ways. It doesn't mean you have to use it as a crutch, but you can use it just to get unstuck in those situations. In fact, in the AI training that you and I are putting together and may even be uh, ready for launch by the time people are listening to this, we're going to show people how to use AI to come up with more ideas as well. So wow, look at a... you, look at you teasing that offer. Nice. Okay. And then we ended the conversation talking about the future of copywriting, which I felt like was quite positive from John's perspective, which is great. Um, that there's just so much opportunity. And I agree with that. I, you know, there's <laughs> we're still so needed. And even just talking with some of the copywriters today in the accelerator program, you know, we're talking about if you can create great copy, that is still rare. It's rare. And so even though it feels like there's so many copywriters out there and there's not enough work and, and it's hard to find clients, if you become the best at what you do, there is so much opportunity for you, regardless of the shifts in AI. If you can be the best person who does that one thing, you will continue to do well. And we need more of those people out there. 
Yeah, and, and you know when we say something like that, if you can become really good or when you can become the best, um, that's sort of a, a, a hard concept to wrap your mind around. There is a lot of mediocre copy out there. In order to be the best, you need to have things like a very specific voice or the ability to adopt your client's voice, or you need industry-specific uh, knowledge, or you need um, product-specific knowledge, right? There's lots of ways to get there and make it different and stand out from, again, the vast majority of copy and content that's pretty mediocre. Yeah. And when I say best, I mean, you get results for your clients. Like it, I don't actually mean you're the number one person and the only person, but you can deliver on the promise and you can, they can depend on you to do what you say you're going to do and to hit those results um, consistently. And it's not every time, but consistently. Well, we want to thank John for joining us on the podcast to talk about copywriting, his approach to doing the work. And as we mentioned at the end of the interview, John writes a weekly email that you can sign up for at copywriters with an S roundtable.com. And if you're a member of the Copywriter Underground, John taught a workshop on the six different lead types in which he shared several real life examples of how to start a sales message with a story or with an invitation or with a prediction. That training alone is worth the price of admission into the underground, especially if you write sales messages as part of your work as a copywriter. So you can find that at thecopywriterunderground.com. And that's the end of this episode of the Copywriter Club podcast. Intro music composed by copywriter and songwriter Addison Rice. Outro was composed by copywriter and songwriter David Muntner. If you enjoyed this episode, please visit Apple Podcasts to leave a review of the show. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Copywriters coming together to help the world write better, copy and make more money. Kira and Rob's Copywriters Club.